Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is Lauren Anderson. Good evening, Lauren. Well, good morning for you. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. It's it's 2 p.m. in the afternoon here, so it's uh, I'm plenty awake. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thank you for being with me, Lauren. First of all, um, Lauren, for those that aren't familiar with yourself and the work that you do, uh, would you mind just giving us a brief backdrop as to what that is? Uh, not a problem. Uh, for, for those who are not familiar, that's you mean the 99.9% .9 of the people listening. Um, so... Uh, where do I start? Well, I run a volleyball club here in um, the Boise, Idaho in the United States. Um, so I know I did notice that most of your stuff sent, tends to revolve around uh, soccer or football. Um, and so, you know, having now, I guess, what is this? The second person you've had on who's a volleyball junkie. Um, so yeah, that's uh, my thing is volleyball. And uh, I've been running this club here for uh, we're on our 11th year now, um, so excited about that. Uh, it's always fun. Um, and I've been coaching volleyball for 29 years, um, and I've been playing for 31 years now. So um, I've coached pretty much every level possible from six-year-olds to adults, um, collegiate um, and the program I run here is primarily uh, 12 to 18 year olds uh, and primarily girls. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of the brief summary, I guess. Thank you for that. Lauren, you know, you talked there, you know, right at the top of that, you know, that um, I guess most of my show has been focused around football or soccer, as you, as, as you may call it in the States. Um, you know, obviously, naturally, that's my background. You know, your, your background is much more in the volleyball space, similar to, you know, one of my recent uh, guests, John Kessel. Um, but, you know, I, th I think it's a, it's a great point to make in that, um, I guess, through the origins of the podcast, it was mainly focused around me and my industry, so to speak. However, as you, and I'm sure you'll agree, coaching is such a transferable thing. And some of the concepts that we all use, whether we are in the sport of football, volleyball, basketball, whatever sport that may be in, there's a lot of transferable elements that we can kind of take from one another. And, you know, as John put it best, you know, if we can, if we share an apple with one another and we exchange apples, we've still got one apple, but if we can share ideas, then, you know, that the, the possibilities are infinite in that respect. So I kind of want yeah. to, you know, pick your brains and, you know, maybe have some discussions where we can kind of relate to the both, both the sports in general around the idea of how we help develop better decision makers in, in the game. Um, I know that you've done a lot of work with John in particular, um, and you've worked closely with him in the past and you know, I'm sure you've probably got similar or very uh, very comparable views to to John um, you know I just wanted to kind of get your you know a bit, a bit of background around your philosophy and what you consider to be effective coaching to start with and then maybe we can kind of tailor from there yeah absolutely I mean John's a good friend and um, a, probably one of the most influential mentors in my coaching career and in my life in general so um I definitely hope that I have things in common with him because that would be a compliment to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, as far as uh, 
things that I think are essential coaching uh, principles. Um, I do agree that I think those principles transfer between sports. I think they're underlie all sports and all, all teaching. I think whether you're in a classroom or on a sports field, it's the underlying principles of how we're interacting with the people in front of us, our students or our athletes is the same. Um, I don't think it really should change. Um, and for me in my program that we run here, the number one uh, tenant, the number one principle that we hold to is joy. Um, everything we do is to elicit or evoke joy from our athletes um, or to allow them to experience joy. Um, that's to me, the most important thing that we can do as coaches for the athletes that we work with. Uh, definitely. I think, you know, you talked there about the idea of joy and I think, you know, a lot of coaches probably would agree that the most important thing is for the participants, whether they be youth players or even senior players mm-hmm. or athletes to actually enjoy what they're doing. Um, and it's through that joy that we can, I guess, start to really become more curious and actually learn more. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the biggest things that kind of really, I've evolved over the years, you know, sincerely when I first came into the world of coaching is going from this idea of maybe prescribing a way of working, prescribing maybe particular techniques, prescribing uh, an ideal, an idealistic view of how I want the game to be played. And obviously the game of football in my, in my, in my case, um, but as time's gone on, you know, my, my, I guess my whole outlook on what coaching is and what it should look like and, what my role actually is has you know has is changed massively you know where I would consider myself as like I said quite prescriptive and maybe directive and uh, possibly a very command style coach you know that's kind of really transcended its way to where I am today and you know ten years on just over ten years on I'm now at the stage where I'm probably more yes I still have a very important I still place very important emphasis on that technical bit on what should be done, maybe how it should be done, but I'm probably more focused on around the the why. Why are we doing things the way we're doing it? So maybe, uh, you know, for me, it's about helping players develop and raise their awareness around what it is they're doing, first of all, but why? And I, I like to use this, this the, the concept of traffic lights. So your traffic lights analogy for me is almost like your green light moments and you've got your red light moments and then your ambers are somewhere in between where it's, it's not nailed on, but it could it could happen. But it's, and whilst it's not nailed on, it could also be cut out. Um, so, you know, for me now, it's much more about getting them to become more self-aware about what's happening, the cues around them. Um, and obviously that's led me down this path of, right, I can't really be too much of a command style coach when I do that sort of stuff because I'm not allowing them the room to, I guess, perceive things for themselves. Because if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, shouting out instructions there's only so much of that they're going to take in and if they're focusing on what i'm telling them then they're probably less likely to maybe focus on what's actually happening and what they perceive from it themselves um so it's kind of led me down this path where i'm a bit more step back ask questions let's ask them some meaningful questions and not questions like oh how did you find that oh did you enjoy that for me it's this two surface i need to get right down to the you know right down to the core of everything that's that's going on did they even see that so whatever I've seen from the side, I need to be conscious that they might not have seen that. So within that, what have they actually taken on board? I'm sure you've got it in your sport where you've got so many people who are maybe excellent technicians of the game, fantastic at performing, 
But actually, if you ask them to maybe take a step back and break down what's just happened, they're maybe not always able to. And I don't know, you know I'm not saying that you necessarily have to be able to break it down because we've seen some top athletes across many different sports who haven't necessarily been able to transcend themselves into top coaches. Maybe because of that right. Maybe because they can't quite break the, break it down, and it just becomes an instinctful thing that they've never consciously thought about. Um, but the instinct just, yeah, I have to do this at this moment, or, and they've got almost those green light moments I talked about on tap. So right. I guess you know, <laughs> kind of long winded there, but it'll be interesting to see what your views are on that person on, on that sort of, that, that sort of thing, and yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll just go from there. Sure, I mean, I I'm right there with you. I've now always coached the way I coach now. Um, in fact, I would say it's been an evolution for me over the last 10 years that probably about started about 10 years ago and took me a few years to really nail down what I was looking for in a new coaching philosophy. And um, I'd say now for probably five years, we've really nailed exactly what we're wanting to do and of course we it still evolves every year but i think that underlying tenant the underlying principles haven't really changed uh in probably five to six years now um and uh a lot of that is uh, very much what you're talking about about the more hands-off approach the athlete centered approach rather than the coach centered approach um, where we're putting the athlete and their needs and their desires first and not ours um, where we are not prescribing ways to play the game or ways to perform the skills but we're providing opportunity for them to explore many different ways and to decide themselves upon which ones they're are going to work and that doesn't mean we just stand and watch and play. We're there to shape the environment, shape their, you know, uh, help them get their attention on the right things, help make sure that they're refining their intention within each action, um, that they are aware of the different decisions that they can make and um, challenging them to explore all the decisions, all the possible actions, rather than just sticking with one that they're comfortable with. Um, you know, I, my, I, I truly believe our number one job as a coach after making sure that everyone is enjoying themselves is to challenge themselves, is to challenge them, to challenge them to get outside of their comfort zones, to see things they don't see, to try things they don't try, um, and to ultimately to fail more so that they can learn faster. Um, and that and a lot of that, like you said, is revolves around asking really good questions, um, you know, rather than being a repository of knowledge and having coaching just be, you know, like taking the knowledge that's inside of my head and putting it inside a inside the player's head. I think that's what a lot of coaches think coaching is. And it's certainly what I kind of thought coaching was for many years. If I could just get all of my knowledge about this game into that player's head, they're going to be a good player. Um, and unfortunately, that's really not how learning works. And it's not the best way for us to develop good players or good human beings. I mean, um, you know, a friend of mine often says, well, if you if you ask any parents or even a coach, you know, what are we trying to teach these kids when it comes to coaching? And co why do kids play sports beyond the actual sport itself? People always tend to come back to 
some of the lifelong skills that we learn from sports, things like leadership and um, decision-making and uh, resiliency and all those kind of things. And one of the things I've noticed a lot is, and I know it was true of me for many years, was I was the one making the decisions for the players. I was the one leading them. So how are they getting good at those things if I was doing it all the time? So now that we've switched to more of a model where we are allowing them to make decisions, even if they're the wrong decisions, that's how you learn to make good decisions is you got to make bad decisions. We're allowing them to be leaders and learn and we're there to guide them through that process so that they can actually take something away from this sporting experience beyond just the wins and losses of the sport itself, but also move into their lives after sporter, you know, as they become an adult that they are good at making decisions and they understand that process and they understand leadership and they understand the learning process um, and how to apply that to anything in their life rather than always looking for some other person to make the decisions for them, to lead them, to motivate them. Um, to me, that is really what we as coaches are responsible to do is to help these players develop those qualities in themselves. Um, and we do that through this microcosm of youth sports. So. No, I, th I totally agree with you. And I kind of want to just touch on a couple of things you talked, you know, right at the top of that, top of that, sorry, you said uh, this, you know, this use of the word, this phrase athlete centered um, is certainly becoming a, a, a more common thing, um, at least on the surface level anyway, um, because people are referring to, their development processes and their programs across different sports as athlete centered. Um, right. May not always be the case. Um, I think a lot of people, and, you know, I'd be interested to get your views on this, that a lot of people are mistaken in my, in my experience, um, athlete centered and athlete led. Yeah. Um, for me, massively different. Um, yeah. I think, you know, if you, well, I guess it, it is what it says on the tin, essentially. Um, athlete led is athlete led, but it doesn't mean that it, it it's necessarily athlete centered either because if their if their perception or their understanding of what needs to happen isn't i guess clear or or if it does lack clarity then it ha is it really going to be athlete centered i right. don't know but the athlete led part you know is one aspect of it. but the, that athlete centered part and i think that needs to be kind of really highlighted that it doesn't mean that the coach doesn't have a say in that or has a doesn't isn't still orchestrating how that kind of pans itself out if that makes sense do you guys yeah. do you have a similar kind of view on that is that some of the experience that you've yeah. had as well or yeah very much so i mean i we get um i don't know what the right word would be we get uh people who think that we are creating an environment where the the athletes rule the roost where they're in charge and we just sit back and watch and play because we say it's athlete centered and um but that's so far from the truth i mean the truth is athlete centered doesn't mean that the adult is not involved athlete centered means that the adult is not demanding demeaning or diminishing the athlete's experience it means we are engaging with them as a peer more so than as a fountain of knowledge um, and the primary way we do that is through asking great questions that make them think 
instead of telling them to do things. So the only thing they really get good at is following instructions. Um, and we want them to learn, not just follow instructions. And we see a lot of, and that was me for 20 years of my coaching career was I was very good at just telling athletes what to do um, and didn't engage them in a way that really motivated them to become great learners. Um, instead, they were just really great at following directions. Yeah. And if they didn't follow directions, then that meant to me, I hadn't told them clearly enough what to do. So I just needed to tell them more <laughs> instead of actually provide an opportunity for them to learn so that they could not only learn what to do in that situation, but adapt their learning to other situations. Because mm. to me, that is the best athlete, is the adaptable athlete, not the one who is really good in one-off situations because they've been told how to handle it, yeah. but the, the athlete that can adapt to a variety of different things that happen out on the court. And they don't need to look to the coach to figure out how to respond to that. They can figure it out on their own because we've allowed them that autonomy of how to discover the answers for themselves, whether it be individual or the team. Mm. I think you're spot on there. And I, it, just, it just kind of makes me think. So in, in, the, in the delivery of, I guess, a program like that, how, how does that work in terms of, you know, game related stuff, uh, maybe unopposed practice and opposed practice. And, you know, my, my view is this, that uh, when it comes to that aspect of things, and I, you know, it'd be interesting to get your perspective from, I guess, from another sport as well. I, I gen, it's not that I don't agree with unopposed practice. And just to kind of clarify what I mean by that is when it's just uh, almost like a shadow play. Yeah. Um, or opposed practice for me is obviously it's different variants of that. So you've almost got this dial here where you kind of, you might just start off with uh, some opposition in as an interference where they might be just be jockeying their positions, but not actually live to the point where they can actually tackle or anything like that. So that dial there is for me, how much, you know, how much you go up and down that dial is obviously the important part in terms of how much pressure the players can maybe handle at that moment. But that unopposed part to start with, you know, whereas maybe when I first started got, in, got into coaching, I was kind of really co almost conditioned in a way to say that, right, we had to go from unopposed, build it up, build it up, build it up to make it almost finishing with a game-like uh, element to the sessions. Um, whereas now it's almost like I've completely switched it around now. I'm not, and, I, and I'm not specifically saying that I play games because I do think games are important. I do think they're great. Um, but what I tend to do is I almost, uh, I consider it almost zone specific, um, I guess, coaching in the sense that, and, you know, excuse my ignorance, because I'm not too familiar with the sport of volleyball itself. Sure. And outside of, you know, knowing what the game looks like mm -hmm. on a surface level, I'm not too sure about the, 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 you know, the internal components and whatnot. However, just to kind of give you a context, what it might be is I'm working on a, a particular type of shot from a particular area of, of, of the court, in your case. Um, and I'll maybe present different scenarios that could occur in that area of the court. Um, so in my case, it might be right at a pass. I've got the ball. Um, we're in the final third of the final third of the field on the right-hand side. I'm now going to maybe put together some what-if moments. This could occur, this could occur, and this could occur. Um, and we're going to just have a couple repetitions of each one. 
uh, and we're going to, as a, as a, as a collective between myself and the, and the players, we're going to discuss why might we use this option? Why might this option occur? Why might this option occur? And there's no, obviously there's no uh, guarantees that any of these things are specifically going to happen, but if we can go based on experience on the types of things we'd expect to see in these areas, then I'm, I'm fairly confident that we'll have a good idea of how to maybe deal with them if we come up them against the game. But not necessarily specifically saying, right, we're going to do this particular thing and we're just going to spend 30 minutes on it. Because um, I'm very conscious of, you know, the people talk about repetition. Do we ever really get repetition? No, I'm not sure we actually do. Because there's always going to be some small factor which will change what's actually happening in, in, in practice. Whether that be because the ball has been paid from five yards further left or five yards further right yes the context is the same in, in i guess the overall pattern of what we're trying to achieve but for me i don't think you can really really ever recreate that situation um yeah so i want to expose you to as many potential situations as possible and just give you a bit of experience doing those so it's almost this idea of uh in some ways you want to become a, almost like a jack of all trades uh, in that respect, so I don't know, what what are your views on it? Is that is, is that similar to maybe how you work, or do you do it slightly differently, or uh, to a degree? Um, I mean, to address a couple of your points there, one uh, on that idea of repetition, um, I believe it was uh, Bernstein, who's kind of the father of the field of one of the coaching pedagogies that's talked about a lot right now, which is um, ecological dynamics. I know you had Stuart Armstrong on, and I'm sure he talked about that. Um, as he's one of the people who actually helped me find that. Um, and there, this, the saying that comes out of that is uh, repetition without repetition, meaning that you are repeating the goal without repeating the how, right? So if, uh, you know, in your sport of football, if um, you're, you know, like you were saying, maybe it's the, 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 I don't know the terminology, but it's the, that third of the field and you're on the right side. And the, the goal of the activity is to get the ball in the goal, to score a goal. That's why I like football and soccer is because the terminology is really clear cut. You know, your, your goal is to make a goal. Um, but, you know, if you're, you're trying to, what you're repeating is that goal. How do we make a goal? But you're doing it in a variety of different ways. You're entering the ball differently. You're, emphasizing different things. So that's the repetition without repetition. And that to me is essential part of coaching. Um, that concept that you can just repeat the exact same action over and over and over again, in order to get better at it, in my opinion is wrong. Should, shouldn't be used um, at any level of the game. Um, and I think the science right now backs that up pretty strongly in that um, that concept of blocked training or um, non-variable practice, those things are, they, they help you look really good during that one practice, but it doesn't retain, it doesn't stick. And so in the long run, the person is doing more of the variable practice, more of the repetition without practice or repetition without repetition um, is that's the person who's going to get better in the long run. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, um, with us, our program is 99.9% game-based. Um, everything we do almost 
is opposed. Um, you know, we're obviously a net sport, not an invasion game. Um, but there are some similarities between soccer and volleyball. Um, I, in fact, I love it when we have soccer players who come in to try volleyball because I can actually help them understand our game by relating to soccer. You know, um, I ask them, how do you score a point in soccer? And they say, well, you kick a ball into the goal. Right. So in volleyball, it's the same thing. You got to get the ball to go into the goal. And they're like, I don't see any goal posts. I don't see a net. You know, I, I mean, I don't see anything that I'm kicking the ball into. I'm like, well, you don't want to necessarily kick it into it. You can, but you can also hit it into it. And um, the goal just happens to be lying on the floor on the other side of the net. And it's 30 by 30. And you've got six goalkeepers on the other side who are trying to protect you from hitting the ball into that goal. And all of a sudden their eyes kind of light up and they're like, oh, so it is like kind of like soccer. I'm like, yeah, it'd be like soccer if you had a eight foot net between you and the goal and you had six people standing in the front of the goal trying to keep you from hitting the ball in there. So now you can maybe understand why in some respects it can be harder. Um, it's certainly not hard. And I'm never going to say volleyball is harder than soccer or either either way around. But, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it it can seem a little more difficult. Um, so for us, we're always playing games. Everything's about games, but it's not always the full game, much like in your training. I'm sure you don't always do full side, full sided uh, games. It's we break it down. We have uh, one on one, two on two, three on three, four on four, six on six. Sometimes we'll even go more than, you know, six is the size we play on if we're playing a full size match. Um, we might even go up to seven or eight to overload a side. Um, so we, you know, that's all, that's our, like I said, 99% of our practices is based on creating a really great game that elicits the behavior that we're looking for. I feel that's the most powerful tool we have as a coach to uh, help an athlete change is rather than telling them, this is what we want you to do. Let's create an activity in which they will discover that thing that we want them to do or where that thing we want them to do is really maybe the only effective answer. We know that, but we don't tell them that. We let them, ex we let them discover it. Sure. And just on that then, you know, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, it kind of it resonates with my, in the way I work a little bit. Um, but I'm also conscious now, whilst we, I guess, manufacture not merely manufacturing, we're designing the practice in a way where it obviously, like you said, certain outcomes are going to be probably more favored than others. Um, and in some cases, maybe the only potential outcome. If, if we've designed it in a way where it could be the only potential outcome, are we now manufacturing success firstly? And secondly, are we not in danger of um, limiting their creativity outside of that option that they've deemed okay, this works. Um, yes, to answer your question. Yes, I agree. I mean, we would never create a game where uh, there's only one, one possible solution um, other than the solutions within the rules of the game. You know, like you wouldn't create a, a training activity in your sport in which if you miss the goal, you got a point because that's, what are you teaching them, right? So you are manufacturing one right answer, which is get the ball into the goal. Sure. But that's the rules. 
that's within the rules of the game, which to me are, that's the most fundamental aspect of any game are the rules. Mm. That's our first constraints that we have to be held to. And you should try to hold your players to the constraints of the rules most of the time. I think sometimes it's okay to explore outside of the rules. You know, in our game, uh, volleyball has some very unique aspects to it that make it difficult for younger players to learn because it's a rebound game. It's played at the speed of physics and gravity. Mm. Um, you can't stop the ball. You can't, you know, in, in, I'll probably continue to say soccer, but I think you understand. I mean, I mean, football or and slash soccer, but in soccer, um, a young player, when the ball comes to them can stop the ball, mm. make a, de- make a decision, move on in basketball, catch the ball, make a decision, move on sports like volleyball, tennis, table tennis, badminton. They're all rebound sports where the decisions have to be made at the speed of the, the ball. Mm. Um, and so for younger players, because their cognitive ability to make decisions isn't there, they don't have enough experience yet. So it's really hard for them to make decisions. So it's just reaction. There's no decisions. They're just reacting all the time. So like for us with a lot of our younger players, we'll allow them to catch one of, you know, volleyball, we get three contacts on our side of the net. Um, we'll allow them to catch one of those three contacts. So maybe they catch the first one and then they have to abide by the rules of the game for the next two contacts, but that slows it down enough that we can start talking to them about making decisions and allow them to think about the next thing they're going to do, which if you just always held them to the rules of the game at, at that level of play, I feel like a lot of the kids would be very frustrated and never learn because they can never figure out what to do. Um, and so I do think that we, we do need to manipulate the rules at times in order to create a game that is just barely hard for the player, but not too hard for the player. Um, Cause I think when we get too challenging, it can be, when there's no success, that's when the motivation quickly goes away for players. Um, but so, you know, back to the point being that I think that um, you always got to just start with the rules of the game and what do the rules say, but then within those rules, be creative about how to elicit change from your players. So like if I was wanting my players to hit the ball over the net, in a specific way or to a specific place rather than say that's the only thing you're allowed to do or rather than say that's the only way you can score a point i might just say you get bonus points if you do it that way so you're going to still score all the other ways that are out there and you're welcome to explore them but if you want that you know rather than one point maybe we'll give you five points if you do it this specific way so now the athlete, if the athlete's not in position to do it that way, they don't have to, they can still score another way. But if they're in position to go for that one, the thing that we're trying to work on that day, then it, it incentivizes them to actually go for that rather than fall back on what they know. So just on that then, you know, if they now get into that point where maybe going for it in a certain way whichever way that may be whether it's the one that, that you kind of want to direct them to or elsewhere at any stage in that process or 
at any stage of together, do you actually then have a conversation with them around maybe why they picked that method potentially? Um, what were potentially the key maybe variables within that that they might have to be aware of to maybe make a better decision as to whether that method is probably the best appropriate method in that situation, if, that, if you get what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, we, I mean, we do have conversations with our players about the, you know, the the 60 foot view of our game, looking down from above, imagining what the court looks like, imagining where everybody's at, why are we making these decisions that we're making? Um, but I do think it's really important for coaches to recognize that there is a huge difference between knowledge of the game and knowledge in the game. Mm. Um, you know, you, there are a lot of, I mean, you got TV analysts out there who have a massive knowledge of the game and they could tell you exactly what should have happened, mm. but those people can't necessarily walk out on the field or out onto the court and actually make that same correct decision in the game. Sure. Um, and, and like you referred to earlier, you have players who can do a ama make amazing decisions on the field or on the court. But if you ask them to actually explain why they're going to be like, I have no idea. Like, you know, I, it's just what happened. If you've got those players who have, can make those decisions, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think it's important for them to understand the why? I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, they get the result. But in order to kind of maybe potentially build on it and take it to maybe the next level, is it important for them to understand why? My, my, I mean, my view is that the more we know, uh, the more we can try and recreate, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think, I think it, they work together. I think having uh, players that are um, intelligent about the game, they have a knowledge of the game. Um, those are the players that can learn from more sources, you know, like they can watch a match on YouTube and learn. Um, they can watch another team in the same space they're in, or they can watch a teammate and they can, assess that they can assess themselves you know they can watch a video of themselves and learn from it the player who only has knowledge in the game and only has that experiential knowledge i think struggles to learn from anything that isn't actually playing the game mm -hmm. um, and so i think helping increase their that third person view of their playing definitely helps to increase the rate at which they can learn because they can uh, they can they can just assess themselves after each play or they can have a little bit better opportunity to reflect on the decisions that they've made why that didn't work what could have worked better instead of always having it come down to the microsecond in which they're doing it and um, hoping that they've somehow accrued enough knowledge to make the right play, you know? So I do think, you know, like if you, if you tell a player there's a specific spot out on the court that's open and that they agree with it and they're, they're able to work on hitting that because they understand the tactical advantage of that i think that's an essential part of the game um but 
I also think there's a lot of, you know, the coupling between the perception and the action that's going on. And sometimes if you were to ask an athlete, why did you do that? They don't know. Um, it was just the experiential knowledge uh, that took the perception, coupled it with an action, and that thing happened. And, you know, that old saying, your, your actions speak louder than your words. Um, I've gotten to a point now where I'm trying more and more with the athletes I work with to, instead of having a conversation with them, have a quick you know, points made, but then say, okay, now go show me. Instead of explain this to me, I don't care if you can explain it to me. I need you to be able to show it to me because you're, this is a sport in which we do things. It's not a sport in which we talk about things. Sure. Um, and so I think that it is important. It's more important for the athlete to be able to do the stuff than it is for them to be able to explain it. Do, do I think being able to explain it can enhance their ability to do it? Yes, but I will always put the action as more important than the ability to verbalize um, because I have a lot of really smart athletes who are extremely intelligent and they're going to tell me what I want to hear, whether or not they can do it, whether or not they even know that's what they should do when they're out on the court, they're going to tell me that that's, you know, that they know those things. And but then you say, okay, now go show me. Yeah. And they go out there and they don't do any of it. Um, because it, there's no crossover there. Um, and so I think it's when I'm going to assess an athlete, I'm going to assess an athlete based on what they do, not on what they tell me. Mm. I think, you know, I think that's important to make that I think my, my only thing would be is in that process of them maybe not being able to explain it, but if they are able to explain it, yes, they might not necessarily go to uh, perform it because obviously that's it. You're right. It's a, it's, it's a doing, it's an action. Um, however, if they're aware of maybe what the process could potentially look like in order to get some more success, then they're yeah, potentially more likely to be able to, I guess, implement it, if that makes sense. Um, you know, kind of just, you know, I want to take you back to something you touched on earlier, right? Obviously being an athlete centered program and obviously, you know, you, you kind of said that you're very similar in the sense that you take a bit of a hands-off approach. Is there specific questions or I guess, bits of information that you might want from your players before deciding on which path to take them down? Uh, what, in what way are you referring to? So in terms of obviously, you know, you, we talked earlier about this idea of being athlete-centered. Um, mm -hmm. Is it important for you in any way? And if so, how do you go about obtaining the information around what they already perceive to know about a, a particular context? Um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in one of the things that you know I've heard you discuss in the past around the idea of um, maybe not so much t looking at the action itself, but maybe the efficiency of the action. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there are important, definitely important things to know about each athlete in front of you. I think knowing their goals, that's super important. You know, instead of making our goals as the coach, central to what's going on we need to make sure that we know what their goals are what are your goals out of being on this team this year um you know if i have a player who just wants to be hanging out with friends and playing a sport they enjoy and that's their goal then i probably shouldn't be like 
treating them as if their goal is to play collegiate volleyball. Mm. Um, and I shouldn't be holding them to the standards that are going to be necessary in order to do that. Um, whereas if I have a player who has said it very expressly to me, my goal is to play division one college volleyball in the United States, then my interaction with that player is going to be different than the other player because I, I'm here to help that player achieve that goal. And if I don't change the way I interact with an athlete based on their goals and I interact with everybody the same, I'm probably not helping anybody. Mm. Um, so, I, so I do think uh, one critical piece of knowledge for each athlete is to know what, what are your goals? Why are you here? You know, your why, why are you playing volleyball? Is it just because you love it and you hang out with friends? Is it because you want to make your high school varsity team? Is it because you want to, is it because you, your mom played and she's making you be here? Um, is it because you want to be the next international superstar? Um, all of those things are, that's super important. Um, I think knowing, uh, knowing what's going on in the player's life is important. Um, what levels of stress are they under when they walk into the gym? Um, what's going on in their life? Is it, uh, you know, are you, did you? I think you hit the mute button. That was my fault. <laughs> um, I, you know, did they just uh, take five huge tests today and their brain is fried and they're walking into the gym and I need to know those things. Um, you know, and what good, what good things happened to them today? You know, like one of my favorite questions that I've really, I've started asking all of, I, I coach one team in my program. So I have 10 athletes that are, I'm their coach. And, um, I, when they come in the gym, I walk up to each one of them. I say, what's the best thing that happened to you today? And, you know, and unfortunately, which I think is very interesting, most of them can't answer. Like, they're like, uh, can I get back to you on that? And I, um, you know, cause they're not used to being asked those kind of questions. You know, uh, for a lot of, you know, sometimes I find myself asking questions of, of, of players and I find that often they don't have an answer because they've never really had, they've never been asked that question. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Like, you know, I, I, we've been asking that we've been asking, like, what are you most grateful for today? Um, and those, they're so used to the adults in their lives being, deficit detectors instead of, you know, strength finders. And uh, that's a concept I got from uh, motivational interviewing, um, which is a pretty fascinating area of work that I think vastly applies to coaching. And um, the guy that basically invented motivational interviewing wrote a book on how to apply it to sports. Um, I can't remember his name at the moment, but I have his book. And I know that that's one of his terms is that deficit detector. Um, and I really like that as the description of what I don't want to do. I don't want to be the adult who's constantly just finding where you're unworthy <laughs> and what, what needs to be fixed. But I want to be able to point out to my athletes what, what their strengths are. What are the good things? What are, what are you? And I want them to be able to do that on their own. That's why I ask, like, what was the greatest thing that happened to you today? You know? And I think you make a fantastic point because I think it quite often, you know, and I certainly, and I talked earlier about you know the transition in terms of the way I coach and uh, where I used to be quite directive and maybe not asking the, the athletes for too much of their opinions and their thoughts on things. I found that obviously over time, as I started to do that, and I still kind of get it now. Um, 
uh, when I maybe potentially enter a new environment or, you know, even outside of the coaching world, really. And uh, some of the stuff I do is, is, is around coach education. So I deliver courses and things like that and, and trainings. And even when I'm, you know, in that environment, I almost take a similar approach. I want to know, well, actually, let me ask more questions that know where you're at. Because if I know where yeah. you're at, I know where I can take you next on the journey or, where, or which direction I need to maybe guide or lead you in. Um, but obviously, you know, I think the human instinct is almost, you're asking me a question. Are you trying to teach me out? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, I'm not sure that's human instinct. I think that's a cultural creation. Sure. You know, I think it's something because that's what most kids have experienced when they're in with adults. Is yeah. that when an adult asks the questions, like, like uh, one of my favorite things to do is when a player does something exactly the way we would want them to and you say to them why did you do that that way or how did that feel and they immediately go on the defensive like oh did i mess it up and you're like just because i'm asking you about it doesn't mean you did anything wrong <laughs> you know and but they're so accustomed to that that's when uh, you know adults parents coaches teachers te they don't they don't ask you questions unless there's something wrong and I think something that's helped me with that is that when I've maybe had had someone maybe performed a good pass or whatever it might be, I, I start that 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 interaction off with Lauren. I love the way that you did. Can you now tell me what, what made you do that? Right. Uh, and I find that straight away that that breaks that barrier. Yes. Like, oh, I've got the praise. I don't even need to put my guard up anymore. Let me just yep. ask the question comes next. And you know, sorry to cut you there, but I, you know, I think it's a great point. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm, it's funny you brought that up because that's another thing that I've been working on. Um, we've just, this year, one of our goals has been to coming again from this motivational interviewing research that I've done um, is to distinguish pretty clearly in our own verbiage to our athletes, the difference between praise and affirmation. Because mm. um, praise as the gentleman who wrote the book and invented this idea of motivational interviewing, which if you're not if you're not familiar with it, it's used mostly with to create change in people who are addicted to things, um, and it's very powerful and it's very successful. And now he's trying to help coaches see how they can apply this into the realm of coaching because uh, that's what we're trying to do every day is get people to buy into change. And um, but anyway, one of his points is that. Praise and affirmation are very different. Praise is something you can take away. Um, and I'm, I do it all the time. Kids do something and I'm like, oh, I love that. That was so awesome. Mm. You know, but then I realize, what about the next one? If I don't say that on the next one, does that mean they're not awesome anymore? Does it mean I don't love it? Yeah. You know, and, and how it, you know, it can be taken away. Like in our, in our sport, one of the number one things people do is, we serve right yeah. so we serve the ball over the net so if i have a player who hits a serve and i'm like oh i love that serve what about the next one i, I think that's where the idea of being specific with what it is about yes serve or that pass or that movement that that you did really like because you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a bit, slightly out, a bit, bit off topic, but there was a conversation over, you know, talking with some pundits who were analysing a game, a game on, a game on the TV, and they talked about this idea of um, they've got to be very careful when they, in commentary where 
the words that they use because, you know, I guess in, in, in my world, you've got the likes of Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. And if they do something that was outstanding, can they now go and say the same for maybe someone that, you know, isn't Cristiano Ronaldo Messi to say, oh, that person just did something that was outstanding. Now, it's all relative in some yeah. way. However, I've just said this was outstanding because Messi and Ronaldo just did something that was truly outstanding. And I've said this was outstanding here because it, it was something that was done well and it looked in that context outstanding. But then in, I guess it, it depends on the, the environment, how they actually define that word. Yeah. If you take it as, you know, literally what it says on the tin, it's something that stood out. <laughs> right. Um, if you're now comparing and you use those words too much, then they start to maybe lose their value and the credibility behind what you're saying. So I think it's very important in that respect to say, do you know what? It's almost like, you know, when you use the sandwich technique for the feedback stuff, you know, you give the positive, the negative, and you add the positive back in. So, you know, I love the way you did this, but this is how maybe we could improve it. But it it really worked well because of that. Or, it, it, you know what I mean? And I think that's where you can maybe kind of break it down a little bit more for, uh, for some of the athletes and players to kind of take on board. And I think for me, that's certainly, that's definitely uh, worked for me. Whereas, I guess in my in, in my role as a coach and both as a and then as a coach educator, I see so many coaches uh, constantly well done, well done, well done, giving all the praise in the world. And then you know the question, the one question I always ask them is, right, you've now gone and said well done to that person over there. Maybe in the last sixty minutes, you probably said it about 30, 40 times. Yeah, maybe more. If I went and spoke to that person now and asked them what they actually did well. Would they be able? They would to have no idea. Yeah, the chances they probably won't because you haven't been specific. So if you're right. going to be praising someone, and I, I totally get what you're saying about around the affirmation and the praise part, um, it's a great point because just because I'm affirming you doesn't mean everything is going to be good now. Just because I've praised you doesn't mean everything is good now. There's still going to be things you need to work on, and just because you weren't as good in this moment doesn't mean that the next time you do it, I still didn't enjoy it. But I think it's where the consistency needs to come into play. And like you said, just because you did a great serve this time around, if you do the same thing next time, and I'm still going to be impressed with it, but I think that's where it becomes more key and specific to highlight yeah. what was it about that serve or what was it about that pass or whatever it is that I actually thought you did really well with. Yeah. And then maybe challenge the player. So in, in this case, it might be right. Lauren, I love the way you serve that ball. You know, I think I think the way you pop the ball up before you actually, you know, you 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 actually put you know put your follow through on it was fantastic. If we can recreate that, however, you might want to work a little bit on this part of it, but that bit there really stick to stick to kind of getting that as often as you can. And straight away, I think that gives a reference point for the athlete or the player to kind of think about and say, okay, cool, coach, you know. He might praise me a lot, but he's very specific about what he's praising me with. So now I think, you know, common, my experience tells me that you're more likely to maybe want to absorb that and retain that than anything else because I've given you specificity rather than, yeah, this guy's always telling me well done, but I don't actually know what I'm doing well. Yeah, totally. I agree. I mean, I think anytime we're given feedback to a player, the more specific we can be, the better it's going to be, the more specific to the things they can control. Um, you know, the better it's going to be. Um, the, the big difference that we've found to be really cool between 
praise versus affirmation is if you look at praise is simply uh, a recognition of something done well. Affirmation is more of a recognition of an innate quality that allows you to do things well. And so instead of saying, I really liked that serve, it would, you would say something like, you have such an intense focus, it allows you to serve really well. That's an affirmation. That's pointing out a innate quality in that athlete, pointing out a strength that they have that they can then rely on in the future. And they don't need us to point it out every time because it's part of who they are. Um, and that was the point from the motivational interviewing that I really thought was fascinating. Instead of focusing so much on outcomes or on technique and praising those things and finding good things to praise and finding deficits to detect and talk about, spend more time on affirming qualities within those athletes that are qualities that all of these other things are built on, you know, um, you put a hundred percent effort every time you go for the ball, you know, that's an affirmation. That's telling that athlete every time you do this, I recognize that you put a hundred percent of yourself into it and how that then affects an athlete's perception of themselves and their motivation, I think is pretty awesome. And I think that's when you can get an athlete to start talking about change. Um, when you are able to get them to recognize that they have innate qualities that allow them to do things well and to change. Um, so they start believing in their ability to change, you know, instead of just one off, Hey, that was a great serve. That one wasn't, that one was, that one wasn't, that one was, or you did your, you did this technical thing really well there, but you didn't there. Oh, you didn't do it again. Oh, you just did it great this time. It, that's all in the coach's perspective. Mm. So then we become the limit of a player's ability because everything we're talking about is from our third person perspective of them doing it mm. instead of pointing out innate qualities that that athlete has, regardless of my involvement. Um, and then they can rely on those innate qualities to support themselves and they don't need us as much. Um, if an athlete truly believes that they give 100% to get to every ball because we've affirmed them of that on multiple occasions and then they become to believe it, then they don't need us to say, I love, that was great effort for that ball. That wasn't, that one was, that wasn't, that one was, they just know they're going for every ball and they, then they start to change. Um, I think that's a really powerful tool that not enough coaches know about. I didn't know about it. Um, not only know about, but also uh, are willing to explore. It's kind of hard. I've been trying it for about three months now on a pretty regular basis. To I catch myself in the middle of praise and I say, okay, I don't want to say something to this athlete that on the very next play I might take back. So what could I say to this athlete that would last for the rest of today and the rest of forever um, that they then can grab a hold of as a uh, a foundational belief in themselves that helps them show up in this gym and become better and, and more authentic to who they are. Um, if, if I can do that for them, 
that's a whole lot more than simply correcting technique or giving them some tactic, you know, that's helping change them at the fundamental human level and their fundamental belief in themselves. And then it really becomes, I'm making myself on ultimate, hopefully, ultimately unimportant. Yeah. You know, I, and I know a lot of coaches really struggle with this idea, but I really believe our job as a coach is to down the line somewhere, make us irrelevant. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think for me, it's that I always said, you know, my, my, my number one job as a coach, if I'm able to achieve it, is to become redundant in the environment. Yes. Uh, not, and, you know, almost put myself in a position where I'm, I'm in an environment, not because I'm, uh, I'm then needed by the players, but wanted by the players. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that kind of falls in line with one of the other, the, the, I guess the main principles for how I work in that. I want to become a coach who can help players become, and this is, this is it's an interesting one. I've, I've been having on and off conversations with many people about the idea of independent athletes. I'm not sure if I want my players to become fully independent, um, but I certainly want them to become interdependent. Mm, um, that's a good point. They, If they're interdependent, I feel that that you know that 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 de- definition of that term for me leaves room for them to I guess still want to maybe interact with me around some of the ideas that they've got in their minds, some of the concepts that they might be struggling with or, or wanting to build on, um, and just having those conversations because you know we, we, I'm sure it's the same for you, but you know many sports now have gone very far away from this idea of a technical coach. To now maybe a holistic aspect of development or across the, across the board, um, and I think a large part of that is that social interaction and that in that confidence in in I guess ultimately leading to inter- interdependence um, between yourself and the athlete as the coach, so yourself as a coach and the athlete and the coach obviously the athlete and yourself as a coach. Um, so I think you know that 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 piece is really important to you. But I kind of want to touch on one of the last bits that you talked about there about. You know, it might not be specific if you, your role there to now then just be there to give technical and tactical information. So off the back of that, you know, I know one of the things that you've talked about in the past is, you know, these, these principles that you work within, um, I guess, the way you, de- you know, you may coach the technical elements. Would you mind just maybe going into a little bit more detail around that and sharing what your, I guess, your principles are in that respect? Yeah, I think I know what you're referring to. So, um you know, we're not, we don't really teach the, the technical elements very much in our gym. Um, volleyball is, you ask anybody who's coached volleyball and they're going to tell you volleyball is a technical sport. Um, the fundamentals of volleyball are the techniques. That's the common phrase. Um, I don't believe so. I believe um, that the fundamentals of our sport or the the fundamental of our sport is the interactions between the people involved um that you can't say something is fundamental if it can be done multiple different ways um you know the fundamentals of passing a volleyball or of spiking a volleyball well there's about 30 different ways to teach both so how is it fundamental Um, you know, to me, the fundamentals of volleyball are the rules and the interactions between the players and possibly the coach as well. 
um, and the opponents, all those interactions that are going on. Um, so when it comes to technique, um, our first thing that we always talk about when it comes to the action between the player and the ball is what is it? What's the outcome? What do you want to have happen? You know, in our game, um, if you take defense, for instance, somebody on the other side of the net is hitting a ball at 65 miles an hour over a net and you're trying to dig it. You're trying to keep it off the ground and get it up in the air. So where is it that we're trying to get that ball to go? That's to me, the most important thing, not how you do it, but where is it going? Um, if you are the setter, so the setter is the one who usually contacts the ball second on your side of the net and literally sets the ball up for an attacker to spike it. Um, to me, the most important thing when the setter is setting the ball is where does the ball go? Because that's what allows the spiker to attack the ball, not how you do it. Our, our sport, you said earlier that there is this move in a lot of sports to move away from this technical model into more of a, a holistic model. My experience is not in volleyball. In volleyball, there's, it is still ruled by the technical coach. It is very much um, still, you go into the vast majority of gyms around, at least in the United States, and there's gonna be more feedback given on technique than on anything else. Um, and that's where I, I was there for sure for many years. And that's the big change that I've made is to get away from telling kids how to do things, how to correct things. Um, again, that deficit detector um, or the other term that is used for that is the writing reflex. So writing is in R-I-G-H, not W-R. Um, but so the writing reflex, oh, they did the something that wrong. My reflex as a coach then is to jump in and tell them how to do it right. Um, instead, it's about what is the outcome of your contact on the ball? Did that ball go where we wanted it to go? Great. Now, maybe we're going to have a conversation about how you can make that more consistent. You know, and if, again, we get soccer players who come in here to play our game and uh, they might react to pass the ball with their foot. Uh, because they couldn't get to it with their arms. And so they use their foot and it goes right where it's supposed to. Um, and I'll be like, that's awesome. It went right where it's supposed to. But do you think that that's the most consistent and effective way to do this in the sport of volleyball? Um, you know, and so that's the first place that we have a conversation that is somewhat technique uh, oriented is we need to get the ball to this place. What's I want you to explore ways to do that. And the reality is, at least in our sport, and I think it's true of every other sport, is that if, if the goal, uh, if a player's attention is on the right thing and their intention is, is in line with the intention of the team and they're making great decisions, they're going to look a lot like what perfect technique might look like without us teaching them perfect technique. Um, you know, and so we don't really have this concept of perfect technique. We don't have it at all. I wouldn't even hedge my bet on that one. We just don't even talk about it in our gym. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause just on that, you know, I want to take you back a few seconds. You talked there about, um, 
this concept of perfect technique and you know something that you said right at the start of that was this idea that there could be 30 or maybe an infinite amount of different types of techniques that could be used for a uh, one simple technical component shall we say um but a lot of that obviously is heavily impacted on the context of each given situation so uh this technique might be better if for whatever reason the player is slightly off balance or uh, whatever all these all these different you know these different variables that might exist and you know but i think the key part is that there is there can be many successful techniques techniques and you know many ways to skin that cat you know I, I, people always say to me oh, well how come you don't really give your players a lot of technical information anymore and i'm thinking well it's not that I don't give technical information anymore, but I want to challenge them to maybe find out what works for them and yes. what they find effective. And, you know, some of the ways in which I go about doing that is asking them maybe specific questions and really try and get them attuned to how maybe they're feeling in a moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe paying attention to it. Do they, does it feel right? Cause I'm conscious that, and I always go back to this one experience that I had a few years ago where um, for a brief time, I was working with goalkeepers in, 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 the, in the game and, I had about six goalkeepers from four different countries and none of them were maybe performing or getting the outcome in the way that I would potentially want. I would have coached it to be, uh, uh, I guess, achieved. Um, and I guess that was the first kind of time where I almost took a step back and hold in a second. They're all getting success and none, no one's actually failing here. Obviously it's not, you know, it can always be better, but they're getting relative success, but none of them are doing it the way I, maybe I would want them to do it or coach right. them so is it that they're wrong or I'm wrong? Well, not actually. There's just many ways to skin this cat. Um, what can I learn from that? So I, I, st- I then took more of an opportunity to maybe start to study and uh, assess their technique, what made them different, as maybe you know some of them might have been smaller, taller, quicker, faster, the rest of them, all these different variables, to start trying to assess and, uh, I guess, evaluate, right, why would that person use that technique? Is it a cultural thing from where they're from, potentially? Is it because this technique although it is cultural, is that technique maybe more beneficial for someone who's smaller and uh, more agile potentially? And, you know, just these, these are the sorts of questions I started asking myself. And what I ended up with, you know, coming right back to the top of the conversation, it wasn't me trading my apple with theirs. It was me and them exchanging different ways of working. Um, yeah. so now I've gone from having one way of doing it to I've got now seven different ways of doing this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, There's a, there's a concept um, within that realm that I mentioned earlier of ecological dynamics, um, which feeds into the constraints-led approach of coaching. Um, there's a concept within that um, that's, co- and it's not just within coaching; it's in with within ecology itself. That's called uh, degeneracy, and this was one that took me a while to wrap my head around. But once I really understood what degeneracy was within this context, I it's powerful to me and degeneracy is basically we kind of what you said there's many ways to skin a cat in that when we look at anything in nature um there is always going to be multiple ways to achieve the same goal Mm. um and you look at something as simple as like a bacteria or i mean i hate to use this term right now but as simple as a virus there's there's a, even at the simple level, they will achieve their goals through many different means Mm -hmm. and not through just one specific technique, you know? Um, And that 
so this idea that is that degeneracy used to be by many of the researchers, they saw there's one right way and everything else, all those other ways that you were seeing in those goalkeepers, those were all, that was all noise that we have to prune away so we can get to that run one, one right way. But now what we're understanding is that degeneracy is a good thing and that there isn't one right way. There's the way that works right now in this moment. Mm. And if you have, if you're an adaptable athlete who understands there's multiple different ways to achieve the same goal, mm. then you're going to be more successful in the very, in a variety of different situations. Yeah. So if you're a goalkeeper, uh, I have, again, I'll probably show my limited knowledge of the game here, but, uh, you know, if I'm a goalkeeper and I'm, uh, having to face off against a guy who's getting a free kick, right. Mm -hmm. So a penalty kick. Um, if, uh, if I read him correctly, and I make my move to the left and he kicks the ball to my left, what I end up doing is going to be very different than if I read him incorrectly and I started to go to my right and then he kicked to his left or he kicks to my left. Mm. Um, you know, so it, we need to be able to help athletes become adaptable and not prescribe them a technique, one technique for each little possible situation, because we can't predict all of the possible situations. It's interesting because just, you know, as you're talking, I guess another experience just popped up for me and it's this, um, coming back to what you said earlier about, you know, getting into to come up with different ways and creative different ways of, I guess, dealing with a, a, an obstacle, shall we say. Um, and, I've actually been in a situation now that I think about it a bit where I've actually said to play, okay, well, you, you've done that really well. I like the way you did that. But now I'm going to challenge you. Can you come up with another way of dealing with it? Yes. Yeah, that's a that's such a powerful question to ask an athlete. And it's interesting because when you mentioned it earlier, and this was, I wanted to come back to this as well, but the idea of creating different ways of, I guess, dealing with, I'm going to call it an obstacle rather than a problem. Um do you find yourself asking them any particular questions? Because then you know, it kind of brings it back to what I was saying earlier on in that I'm very conscious about wanting to know whether the players can actually, and you're right, it's maybe not so much important for them to, be able to explain it per se, but if I can, especially not, not in an articulate way anyway, but more so if I can gauge what they're actually perceiving as potential yeah. indicators or variables to kind of work off that might impact their performance or their action, then I'm, I know I'm on the right track and I'm, I'm, I'm closer to understanding what they're actually taking on board. So in the process of the mastics coming up with different ways, do you have, is there any particular question or line of question that you go down to find out, right? Why have you gone in this direction with it? Um, I mean, I think it's context dependent, depending on what it is they're doing on the court. You know, you, they, I do think that it's um, really powerful to allow the game to ask the questions instead of the, the coach. Um, not that we don't ask questions. We definitely do. But one of the best explanations of the whole idea of ecological dynamics in coaching that was ever given to me was to just envision that the game and the opponent are posing problems, asking questions of you. How are you going to respond? And so, and then my dad taught me that if 
you ask a question and you don't like the answer you got, ask a better question. And so to me, that then means if we've created a game and this player is not responding in the way that we were hoping to, mm. instead of saying to the player, hey, you're supposed to do this. Yeah. We create a better game that asks a better player of the question of the co of the player so that they respond in a better way or in another way. It doesn't necessarily mean there's better. There's just different. Right. And so I think that. Again, though, that's one, one way. There's certainly a place for coaches to ask direct questions. And I think there's a place for coaches to tell. I don't think there's anything wrong in certain circumstances for coaches to simply tell. Um, you know, one conversation I've had with a lot of coaches is if all we ever do is sit back and ask questions, we're making that player go through the evolution of our sport from the day it was invented until now. You know, they, we need them to be able to benefit from, in our sport, the 200 years of our sport prior to their birth Yeah. so that they can build on it. So it's okay to tell them, this is how we do this in our game. Sure. If, you know, we've discovered for 200 years of playing this game, that if you want to serve effectively, these are some things you want to keep in mind. Just, just I want you to, but I want you to go and explore that idea and figure out how to make that work for you. I'm, I'm not thinking back to my own practice. You know, when I'm, you're talking about, you know, the times where we can tell them now uh, that has changed dramatically for me over the years in terms of where I was used to be. Like every, every time's a time for me to tell you what to do. Cause I'm the coach. Yeah. Yeah. Now, actually those questions that I'm asking and I wanting to be aware of whether you've understood a particular context or what you're being aware, or what you're paying attention to within a given moment, or I guess those variables that I talked about earlier is that for me is creating a platform or a reference point for me to kind of come back to, to tell you, mm, Lauren, remember when we talked about this, you told me da, 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 da. Yeah. this is the time for that. Right. Um, so that, that for me, that's kind of, I guess, the reason why I go down that pathway of uh, or that line of questioning to kind of create that reference point for us to kind of come back to. So if it is now potentially in a game context where we can't openly have that conversation now, Lauren, remember what we spoke about last Friday around this? Remember what we said? This is what we said we're going to do and this is the reason why. Um, so it's almost like, boom, okay, light bulb moment. And then we kind of crack on from it there. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think there's a really important thing to recognize about, you know, again, my the, the people I work with, the players I work with are primarily kids. Um, and I think, but I think it is true of almost all human beings anyway, that one of the number one things human beings want is to be seen mm. um, and not judged, right? We want to be seen, but not judged. And what do we as coaches typically do for the vast majority of the time a kid's in front of us? Or how do they perceive what we're doing? It's, Judging them. Yeah, 100% it comes back to that, that aspect of yeah. asking that question in the first place. And I think, ooh, this right. is So I think an important thing to get across to our players through how we say things is that what when I'm telling you something, it's just facts. It's not judgment. So instead of telling you, you know, what I don't, there's all kinds of different things that pop into my head there. But an example to me of facts would be like in my sport, 
um, defining the outcome of a, an action, the desired outcome of an action um, so clearly that then I can share with the player whether they achieved that outcome or not. And it's not my judgment. It's a define. It's a def, It's an agreed upon definition we have as a team. So uh, maybe I don't know if this will be hard to understand since you're not really into volleyball. But um, when we run offense in our sport, mm-hmm. the height of the set. Um, so that second contact where the setter is setting the ball up for the hitter, the height of that set kind of dictates the speed of your offense, right? The lower the set, the faster you're attacking the other team, the higher the set, the more, the, the more time the other team has to ready their defense against you. And we, as a program really like to be faster, um, on our attack than rely on the natural athleticism of an athlete, just put the ball up super high and let this big jumper go up there and hit it. The other team's ready, but they're not going to stop them anyway. Um, we don't get a lot of those kind of athletes. So we want to be able to maximize what we do have. And we do that by trying to speed things up. So we have a pretty well-defined height of the set. And we share that at the beginning of the season and we help them understand why that's important. And we get them to agree that they're going to work on that. Um, And so then when my setter is setting the ball, I can simply say to her, that was too high. That was too low. It's not judgment. It's just facts. And she doesn't hear it as judgment because we've defined it. And I will tell her, hey, I'm going to let you know whether you're setting it at the height that we've agreed upon. Is that okay? And she, of course, she wants that feedback. She wants facts. She wants to know, is it too high? Is it too low? So I'm going to share that with her. And that's just me telling I'm not asking questions. I'm just telling her, Hey, that was too high. That was too low. That was too wide. That was too close to the net. That was too far off the net. That's all just, that's like, I'm taking out a ruler and just measuring things for her. Um, so those are things where I really feel like facts are things kids cherish when you share them with them. They want those, you know, um, it's when we instill our, our judgment and they hear it as simply judgment that I think we can lose them. You know, I think the height of that set was too high Mm. Um, without having necessarily defined it beforehand. Like if I didn't tell the kid what, if we didn't agree together on how high a set to our outside left side hitter was supposed to be, and we didn't have this agreed upon reality for our team. And I just, on the very first day they were with me, they set a ball and I was like, that's too high then they hear judgment. There's not facts. And so, and it, and I gave them fat, I gave them judgment without any help on how to change it. And so that telling doesn't do anybody any good. Um, So I think it's important that when you do, I think there is a place for telling. I also think there's a place for telling when it comes to holding them to their own, um, to the things they've agreed to do. You know, Um, a kid is, you know the, their behavior or whatever they've agreed upon as a as a team these are unacceptable behaviors you know we do that with all of our teams at the beginning of the year what's acceptable behavior and what's unacceptable behavior and when a kid starts to act in that unacceptable way i don't go asking them questions i tell them hey you remember we agreed 
this is unacceptable. Mm. And they're like, oh, you're right. Okay, sorry, I'm, an, I, I'm, I'm back to acceptable. I'm going to work on that, my, my bad. Or we might have a longer discussion that lasts for weeks where that kid is struggling with the way they interact with their teammates or whatever. But those are times where I think we have to be willing to just tell. And um, especially as you know, in your sport and mine, we are, we're all under a time constraint. Right. You, you only got so much time with these kids. You know, I get them for, I get them for five months and then they're, they might, I might not ever see them again, but they definitely, I'm not their next coach because they're going to go off to school and they're going to go play for their school. And a lot of them play for us in order to make their school teams. And there's certain things they need to know and learn from us before they go off to school. And so within that time constraint, I got to make sure those players get what they're paying for out of my program. And sometimes just telling a kid, this is the answer is going to speed along that process so that they get to where they need to be in that five months time, rather than me saying, well, you know what, why don't you just explore for the next five months? And who knows if you're actually going to find the answer or not by then, you know, uh, one analogy that I loved with it was like, you know, my team is like an island in the middle of the ocean. And I've invited these players to come to this island. And I know where the big pot of gold is. It's buried in a cave in the middle of the island. But I can tell those players, hey, why don't you guys go explore for a while and see if you can find it. Uh, And then you only have five months on the island. And if none of you find the pot of gold in that five months, too bad, you're going back to the mainlands with no gold. Or I could be like, you know what? let me go show you where that pot of gold is so we can get off of that pot of gold and actually start exploring the beaches and the jungles and go and see some of the cool animals that are here too. You know, so I think there's, there is a place for that time when we can give direct instruction to players. Um, But I think when we rely on that as our main mode of teaching, that's when we're failing them. I think we, we need to rely on, um, putting, allowing them to explore, allowing them to create, allowing them to, um, you know, to just look around on that Island on their own for a while, uh, and see what they can come up with. I think that's a not done enough. And I think it's really, really important. Mm, you, make, you make some fantastic points. And I think it's, it is identifying the right time when to step in, when to not step in. I think, and obviously over time using experience to say, Hmm, how long is this going to take? And I think it is for me, certainly from my experience would tell me that those ongoing conversations I'm having with them will kind of give me an idea of, again, how far they maybe are from finding that goal or finding that treasure in the middle of the island, as you say. Um, but also what routes they've considered taking on the way to get in there in the first place. And it's almost like that, <laughs> a game of hot and cold. You're getting hotter here, you're getting mm-hmm. hot, you're getting hotter. Maybe not try again sort of thing and you know you were hot here but you know you're getting moving a little bit further away from this let's try and stay in that realm without kind of it's here it's here do you know what i mean so yeah that, that's definitely a good way of kind of um i guess looking at it and look i think there's i think that, you know there's a couple of key things to me in it from this conversation so far is that it's got to be athlete centered um, and obviously, you know, the thing I talked about right at the top of the start of this, where we talk about it's, it's not necessarily athlete-led, but athlete-centered. Mm-hmm. The coach still kind of oversees that program or that process. Um, 
certainly more so, even if it is in collaboration with the athlete. Um, and I think it is, that, that part's key for me as well. And you know, certainly allowing or encouraging them to make and come up with their own different ways of working problems out or of overcoming obstacles. And it's not to say that the ways they're using currently aren't effective, but the more ways they can come up with, I guess the more tools they've got when, you know, when, when the, the, the nuts and bolts are in front of them, so to speak. Um, so I think, you no, know, I'm sure that Lauren, I've had a really enjoyable conversation so far. And I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours about aspects of, the, the ecological dynamics, the motivational interviewing is something that I've recently kind of stumbled on myself and I'm starting to look into a little bit myself. Um, but I'm conscious of time. Um, and, you know, it might be it might be room for a part two potentially, but um, just off the back of the conversation we have had today, you know, if there's any listeners or viewers out there that maybe wanted to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself, the work that you do, or some of the concepts that we've discussed in this conversation, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you to do that? Um, sure. I... Probably the most uh, succinct way to get in touch with me would be Twitter, um, which is just at Rise Volleyball. Um, I'm, you know, I'm on there a lot. Uh, I don't post a lot. I repost a lot of stuff that I see in the coaching world. Um, and so I, if anybody was to reach out me on there, I, I definitely would be able to connect with them. Um, we're also on, my club is on Facebook as at Rise Volleyball Academy. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Rise Volleyball, um, or honestly, my email is just my first name, Lauren, L-O-R-E-N, at risevolleyballacademy.net, and I'm always more than happy to have a conversation with anybody about anything that has to do with coaching um, through email. Um, uh, so those are the easy ways, and then if people wanted to you know, explore any of these other topics that I've talked about or whatever, I've done at this point, it's actually a surprisingly large amount of podcasts um, where I, I'm talking about one or another of these different things. Um, and certainly none of these ideas are my original thoughts. Um, they're all, uh, I'm, I'm definitely standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, and, you know, I think I'm original in that I brought so many different of these ideas into one space, into my gym, and I'm practicing them every day. Um, but they're certainly not necessarily original ideas where I'm claiming to have invented this new thought process of coaching or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of amazing people out there that I still learn from every day when it comes to this. So if somebody wanted to know who those people were or whatever, I can always point them in that direction as well. Awesome. Lauren, just on a final note, you know, before we kind of round things up, and just by having this conversation with you now, you kind of, you know, you made yourself part of the coaches network. So, you know, I'm just curious, you know, what is the one message that you'd want to leave with everyone else? Oh, gosh, you got one of those kick butt questions at the end, don't you? Uh, I guess, oh man, there's so many different ones, but uh, let me pick a good one here. How about um, don't be the limit of your player's ability? Uh, I think that's probably one big one for me. I feel like when you become the, when you're the coach centered directive prescripted style of coach, that means you will always be the limit of their ability. And I think that when you turn the journey over to them, and let it be their journey. Um, 
they can grow past you. And sometimes that's tough as a coach to recognize that a player has outgrown you, um, doesn't need you, um, is ready to be challenged by somebody else. Um, but I think it's so important to recognize that it's their journey and all we are is a stop on the map. And if they want to keep going, then you gotta, you gotta encourage them to keep going. And, um, so, you know, don't, don't be the limit. Don't, don't make yourself be the limit of their uh, ability, I think is, uh, something I try to remind myself every day. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you again for your time today. It's been very much um, a pleasure of mine. And I'm sure there's, like I said, there's plenty of things we can kind of go on and talk to. And I'd love to kind of maybe catch up over another conversation later down the line. But I want to thank you again for your time today and hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah, it's been great. I, I really appreciate it. It's been an honor to be part of it. So thank you for having me on. Cool. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.